today. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 4, actually chapter 3. As we continue our series in the book of Colossians, you'll find us on page 1835 of your pew Bible. Colossians chapter 3, I want to read verses 18 through 25. I'm going to preach simply on verses 18 and 19. You'll notice this is a, a paragraph of different subject matters. And we'll look at the first subject matter in verses 18 and 19. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, actually the word is slaves. Slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, give your slaves what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will illumine this passage of Scripture to our hearts and give us insight to see how this passage rightly applies even in our day and age. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, in this last paragraph of chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul applies biblical ethics to the various relationships of husbands and wives, children, slaves, and even masters. Now I could preach just one summary sermon on this passage and move along quickly to chapter 4. But what the Bible teaches on all these relationships has been attacked, criticized, and condemned by so many people outside the church and even inside the church. Therefore, I thought it would be better to go ahead and preach a series of topics or topical sermons on these subjects and following each subject as we go along in this paragraph. So the first topic today that we see in this paragraph is the relationship of wives and husbands and specifically how a wife and a husband should function toward one another which Paul summarizes in verses 18 and 19. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Now, concerning the biblical teaching on the role of husbands and wives, I want to first start off this sermon by correcting a common attack and criticism that is often brought against Paul and even brought against the entire Bible. It is often said that Paul's understanding of women and his command for wives to submit to their husbands, or even Paul's whole understanding of, of sexual ethics, all of it, many people will say, is simply horribly outdated. Many people will gnash their teeth at what the Bible is claiming, at what the Bible is commanding. They'll gnash their teeth and they'll simply say the Bible was written by a bunch of oppressive men, and they'll attack, criticize, and condemn the Scripture by saying something like this. They'll say, Paul was just a man of his times. Paul was misguided by culture, the culture in which he lived. 
They'll say the Bible was simply outdated and regarded regarding sexual ethics and especially the role of wives and husbands. So today, as an introduction, uh, as I begin, let me give you one basic reason, one basic reason, there may be a whole bunch, you can preach many sermons on this, but one basic reason as to why the Bible is not outdated in regard to sexual ethics, nor is it outdated in regard to the gender roles within a marriage or even within a church. And then once I answer this objection, then we'll move on to the topic today. Here's the reason the Bible is not out, outdated. It's because Paul, is right, when he writes concerning the roles of male and female, especially husband and wife, everything Paul writes about this is based upon creation. It's based upon God's patterns in the created order. Listen to this. Never does Paul simply appeal to his surrounding culture Paul does not appeal to the surrounding culture of what to do regarding women and men. Paul appeals to one thing, God's design, God's pattern in creation. Let me give you two evidences of this and we'll move, move along. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 and 9. Just listen to this. He says, The man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now notice this. Notice why Paul says the woman is the glory of the man. It's because there's a pattern and a process that was at creation that Paul is recognizing and Paul is pointing out. God first glorified some dust into his image. And and He made man that way. He made the Adam that way. And then God took a chunk out of Adam and He glorified it more. He glorified that portion even more into a woman. And she is the final step in that process of glorification. Therefore, she is the glory of man. And what did God do in Genesis 2? He brought that greater glory and brought her to the man to help her. And God married them together. What I'm pointing out is simply this. There's a historical pattern that Paul is anchoring his understanding of male and female roles to. The historical pattern in Genesis 2. That's why he says the woman was created for the man. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 14. Before I read this, listen to the context. The context is about how men and women should function at a church, formal church worship service. On Sundays. All right? He repeats a similar command in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. But here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2:11. He says, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Notice that in this passage, Paul is basically forbidding a woman from being a pastor in a church or even a ruling elder. But why? Why is Paul doing this? He's anchoring everything on the pattern that God established at creation. He says Adam was formed first. That's the basis of his point. In other words, Adam was to be the protective caretaker for Eve. 
And since Adam was not deceived into sin, it means that his sin was worse than the woman's. Adam knew full well what he was doing. He willfully let his wife be led astray. He dropped the guard, and therefore the woman was led astray. Paul does not want men in the church to repeat the same sin of Adam. He wants men to be the protective caretakers over God's bride, over God's church. And that's why he says Adam was formed first, formed first, therefore his sin was worse, and he doesn't want the church to repeat the sin of Adam. You'll notice the simple point I'm making right now. In these two passages of Scripture, Paul never appeals to the culture of what he thinks it ought to happen or, or to do in the church concerning men and women. He appeals to God's creation, to God's patterns in creation. This basically means this, that the Bible is not outdated regarding sexual ethics, the role of men and women, the differences in male and female. It means that the Bible is actually very scientific. The Bible is recognizing and acknowledging the created differences in male and female. In other words, the Bible does appreciate the distinctions and the biology and the anatomy between male and female because it's, it's reflecting God's design and how the two are to function together. And both genders have gifts and qualities that they give to one another. They contribute to each other, especially in the relationship of marriage. <clears throat> now, with all that said, in order to explain what Paul says here in Colossians about a wife's submission and elsewhere in the Scripture about a wife's submission and here about the husband's love without bitterness, here's what I'm going to do and how I'm going to angle into this passage. I'm going to follow Paul's example. I'm going to follow Paul's example of pointing out God's patterns in creation. Now, as we have studied the book of Colossians, you remember as we go through this book, we've already seen a particular pattern developing. What is that pattern developing in the book of Colossians? And it's this. What God accomplishes in the heavens, <clears throat> God also desires to implement and bring down upon the earth. We saw this in Colossians 1 and 2. In the heavenly realms, God has put all the angelic principalities and powers in their place. He's made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. And now what does He say to do on earth? In Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You see the pattern? He's established peace in the heavenly realms, in the heavens as a role model. Now He wants peace in our hearts here on earth. So the pattern is very simple. What God perfects in heaven, He wants to be placed upon the earth. This is the same pattern we see in Genesis chapter 1 with the starry heavens and how it relates to the earth and marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Here's a summary that I'm going to explain to you today and a pattern I'm going to base everything on today in this sermon. The function of the sun and the moon serve as a heavenly role model for the earthly function of the husband and the wife. And let me justify and found this point and base it upon two places in Scripture for you. There's two places in Scripture where you can go to primarily to see how the sun and the moon are role models or at least heavenly symbols of a husband and wife. 
And then after we look at the places where this is, then we'll make some relevant applications to us. First of all, in Genesis chapter 1 and in chapter 2, that's the first place you can go to. And it revolves around the theme of a barrier. Um, There's a heavenly barrier that's created in Genesis 1 where God puts some rulers in there. And there's an earthly barrier created in Genesis 2 where God puts some earthly rulers, heavenly rulers in, in the heavenly barrier, earthly rulers in the earthly barrier. Let me explain it to you. On the second day of creation, God put a a barrier between the angel heavens and the earth that we live on. And then on the fourth day of creation, God put rulers in that barrier. Those rulers, that barrier is what we call the outer space. It's the starry heavens. The Bible calls it the firmament. But it's a barrier because you cannot see what's beyond it. You can't see the angel heavens beyond the firmament or beyond outer space. And the rulers, the two main rulers that God put in that barrier is the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. That's what He did in the heavens above us. Then, in chapter 2 of Genesis, God made another barrier upon the earth. That barrier is called the Garden of Eden. The reason why it's a barrier is because west of that garden is the upper land of Eden. There was a river that flowed from the upper land of of Eden, came through the garden, and that garden served as a barrier, as a gateway or a doorway, so that east of it, east of that garden, was downstream. East of that garden was outside the land of Eden. And then God put two rulers in that barrier in that garden. And as you can see the correspondence there, there's a greater light on day four called the sun. There's a lesser light called the moon in the sky. There's a greater ruler, the Adam, and there's his helper, the lesser ruler, in the garden, the woman. If these two rulers in the garden would have obeyed God, then blessings would have flowed out of that garden down to the earth, giving it to the world. But they disobeyed God and therefore curses flowed out of that barrier, out of that garden to the lower earth. So there you can see the correspondence in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 between how God is setting up things with rulers in the sky, rulers on the earth, putting rulers in the barrier, and the correspondence between sun and moon, husband and wife. Then, to reinforce this biblical teaching and the symbolic connection between heaven and earth, or the starry heavens and the earth that we live on? Remember this. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, Joseph has a dream. He has a dream that all the 11 star constellations are bowing down to him, and those 11 star constellations represent his brothers. But including the stars, he says the sun and the moon were bowing down to me. And Joseph's father understood exactly what that dream implied. Joseph's father said, Should your mother and I come and bow down before you? Joseph understood that he was represented by the son and that Rachel, that is Joseph's mother, was represented by the moon. There you see it. That these two places of Scripture confirm that God designed symbolism in the heavens, the reality of the heavens to symbolize what He's doing upon the earth. And when you think about this, and you start contemplating on, on this, the, the structure of this, the symbolism, the, the, the unity between husband and wife, sun and moon, 
when you contemplate the symbolic connection, a lot of details fall into line. You think about this. I'm going to walk through this with you. The sun's rule is masculine and kingly, while the moon's rule is feminine and queenly. For example, the sun, and it's, and it's the king of the sky, and it's so bright, you cannot look directly at it. You can't look directly at the sun. It's brightness, of the, the strength of the sun, the brightness of it. It obligates you to even bow down and look downward under its rule. The same posture is what, how people bow down before kings in the ancient world. The sun's light is so strong that you, uh, it does not direct you to itself. It actually points you to the ground. The sun's light points you to the ground so that you should go to work in the day, daytime and look down and do your work. In this sense, the sun's light is masculine and it's also sacrificial. It doesn't direct attention toward itself. It directs your eyes elsewhere so you can get your job done. The sun's light is masculine in this sense, that it's stronger than the moonlight. The sun's light gives strength for the, day, for the day. It provides the ability for men to go outside and work. And it gives direction. It gives illumination to the pathway. It helps you see where you're going. Without it, you're blind. You can't see. In the same way, a husband is to give strength, to give his strength for his wife and family. He is to provide for them, even with the sweat of his brow. He is to give them direction and, and leadership. Let's move on to the moon. The moon is the queen of the sky. Her light is softer. Her light is more gentle. Her light is more delicate. And therefore, it's feminine in nature. While you cannot look at the sunlight directly. You know what you can do? You can gaze and stare at the glory of the moonlight. So while the sunlight is stronger, you can say this, the moonlight is more glorious because you can actually look at it and be moonstruck, as they say, by her glory. You can put it this way as well, and you think about this as well in biology and anatomy. The moon has different shades and phases on the monthly cycle. And even so, God designed female anatomy to reflect that similar cycle. What you can appreciate and see when you look at God's creation compared to Scripture, God has put an archetype above us. The word archetype means the original design, the original pattern. It's, it's there above us. And we are the ectype. That's another fancy word for simply saying that we are the copy of the original. God is corresponding the starry heavens and the earth below. He is showing us and guiding us how husbands and wives are to function. There's patterns that are set in creation, patterns to follow, and there's patterns to illumine what to do. That's exactly what Paul does in the New Testament when he goes back to Genesis and tells the church what to do based upon God's created design. So, Let's move on to verse 18 where Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Let me give you three understandings of what submission means in light of what we just talked about with the patterns of creation. First of all, submission is, is an act of giving your glory to help your husband. Your glory is the moonlight in the relationship. It's soft, it's delicate, it's, it's more sensitive. Your glory is there to help your husband rule over the house and family. 
Just as the moon helps the sun rule over the earth with a sequence of time. We see that even with the glorious intuition of the first woman, she was helping the man rule very early on. God told Adam not to eat of that fruit of the tree. But the woman with her glorious intuition, what does she understand? She knew that we were not even supposed to touch that fruit. If Adam would have had greater consideration for his wife's intuition and about God's law of understanding not even to touch it, then it would have helped him stay out of trouble. So submission, number one, means the act of giving your glory to help your husband. Number two, submission means that a wife is to contribute her sensitivity and her delicateness to help her husband's her husband. Females have an extra sensitivity and a, and a delicate glory that males do not have. The masculine sunlight needs the feminine moonlight to help rule a family. Just think about this. Think about how horrible the world would be if God made one sun to rule the day and another sun to rule the night. What would be horrible about that? That there'd be no nighttime, first of all. And of course, two, the strength of two suns would just burn up everything. There'd be no rest. <laughs> it would be horrible. There would be no sensitive, no delicate glory in the sky to help rule over the night. This is why God has designed things the way, the way it is revealed in Scripture and even in creation. In the same way God has designed families to function with both the strength of the masculine and the sensitive glory of the feminine. So number two, a, a wife's submission means to contribute her sensitivity and her delicateness to help her husband in raising the family. Number three, submission means this. Think about the word, what the word submission means. It means under a mission, under someone's mission. It means that she is under a superior mission, under someone who has leadership, under someone who has direction and guidance and protection. She's helping serve a greater mission. That's what submission means. And it, it, it implies that he is the leader, he is the sunlight, he is moving along, and she is there like the moonlight assisting in that mission. This is a good segue into chapter, uh, verse 19 concerning the mission of the husband. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Now to love your wife means a couple of things. It means this. It means you, you love the sensitivity of her glory. You value the touch of her moonlight, her intuition, her observations, and her finesse. Adam became very bitter when he rejected his wife's intuition about God's law he blamed her, and he blamed God for his sin. At that moment, the solar light of Adam dimmed because he became a weak man. This is why weak men, they always become bitter men. He's not strong enough to appreciate the sensitivity of the feminine. That's the problem with him. If he, <clears throat> he's not, a weak man is not strong enough, he's not grounded enough to be patient and even to listen with consideration. A weak man loses his frame of solar fortitude. And without the presence of mind, his sunlight will 
weaken and have even different shades like the moonlight and be dim. The man's task and the goal is to be strong enough, be grounded enough, that he can, he can love and appreciate the sensitivity that the feminine glory brings to the marriage and even the family. So remember this, strength has the ability to appreciate the sensitivity of the female. To love your wife also means this, that you give your strength to complement her sensitivity and not to crush her sensitivity. Your strength is a foundation for her glory and her shine, for her moonlight. Because the man was formed first for strength, God added a feminine glory to that foundation and brought that glory to that strong foundation. The foundation there, the strong foundation, is to complement the sensitivity, not to crush the sensitivity. You can see how God designed male and female with both their gifts and their strengths to complement one another in the harmonious relationship of marriage. Also, let me give you two applications of this, both to the younger and the elder generation. Boys and girls. Boys, when you grow up, you need to focus on growing up being strong. Strong in all aspects of what it means to to have strength. And here's a list of categories of strength in which you need. You need strength mentally. You need strength physically. You need strength emotionally. And you even need strength financially with some form of occupation because God will expect you to be the main provider for your family. And not only will God expect you to do that, a female will expect you to do that if, if you want to be married to a female. She expects you to be the sunlight in her solar system. She needs you to be that way. God is expecting you to do that as well. Christ created you to be solar. And you need to focus on trying to be the sunlight ruling in a future family. So in all these areas of life, you as a young boy will need strength in all those areas. Surround yourself with strong men, strong friends. Do not surround yourself with weak boys, weak men. Surround yourself with strong men wherever you go, especially in college in those developing years. Girls, when you grow up, you need to grow in your feminine glory. You you need to excel in being wise and sensitive with your words and your friends. Girls will remember a lot of what is said to other girls in years and decades to come. Treat each other with sensitivity and respect. Exercise your feminine qualities at a young age because a strong husband will need that feminine quality later on. Your glory... Your beauty as a girl needs to be preserved. Preserved. And boys, you need to grow in your strength and in your diligence and your mission. When you have a mission, when you have a calling, there will be a girl that God gives you to bring into submission, to help with that mission, to be a moonlight for your sunlight. For the elder generation, let me say this. If you have lost a spouse, if you've lost the sunlight of your life, if you lost the moonlight of your life, remember this. That the Bible ends with the importance of God's presence with His church today. Because God is the ultimate archetype of both sunlight and moonlight, male and female. The Apostle John illustrates this in God's presence with His church today in, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. Concerning the church, he says this about the church. He says, I saw no temple in it. 
for the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, or its temple. The city of God had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sunlight. He is the ultimate source of strength. Jesus Christ is the ultimate husband to the widow. Jesus Christ is also the ultimate moonlight. He's the ultimate glory that you can gaze at, that you can look at and behold and see it by faith. This is why the scripture ties everything together for us in every stage of life, makes sense of why the world is designed the way it is, the way it functions, and how all of it illuminates us and who we are as children of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the clarity of Scripture, the beauty of your creation. We pray, Lord, that you will strengthen all of us in our different respective stages of life, that you will strengthen us for our duties that you've placed before us. We pray, Lord, that you will improve our understanding of, of, of your world, of your Scripture, and how it applies in our life. We pray, Father, that you will be with all of us and strengthen us with the Holy Spirit as we bear more fruits of glory and repentance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.